0: to be praised in the city of our god his holy mountain beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth mount zion in the far north the city of the great king within her citadels god has made himself known as a fortress for behold the kings assembled they came on together as soon as they saw it they were astounded they were in panic they took to flight trembling took hold of them there anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. And then we go to Matthew, the 12th chapter, picking up with verse 22. Then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges." Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. And then finally, to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, first chapter, starting with the 18th verse. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord." May God bless to us this reading, these readings from his holy word. Well, I wanted to give you an update. Uh, as you know, I, I, I mentioned a few weeks ago about uh, some of the things that the Lord has been saying and some of the things the Lord said to me back in June and, uh, and how he told me as a confirmation of what he was saying that over the summer our bank account at City Temple would go up, not down. Now, what we've seen is uh, quite amazing. There's never been a time, in the, certainly in the last 15 years, that we have seen the bank accounts of City Temple go up, not down over the summer. It's, it happens with most churches. People are out on holiday and things like that. And again, I'm not saying that City Temple is a wealthy church or anything like that. But consistently, it was interesting, from that day up until the 22nd. Anybody know what the 22nd was? anybody you remember it was the autumnal equinox when an equal day, day and night, that is the officially the end of summer and the beginning of fall, or autumn. Uh, I always remember fall because we were taught that in in the clocks fall back and spring forward, uh, and it doesn't make sense to say the clocks autumn back and spring forward. so that's how I remember fall. But it's the autumnal equinox. It's the last day of summer. And the very next day was the first time that our bank account had gone down. So for the remainder of summer, what the Lord told me in June, which I almost laughed at because it's never happened, that happened. And it makes no sense. I was talking with Andrew about this uh, a number of weeks ago, and I say, you know, I don't know where this money's coming from. I don't know how this has happened. And he said, you know, Rod, it's a little bit worrying when you got a lot of money and you don't know where it's coming from. You know, just like when all your, you don't know where your money's going, you know, when all of a sudden you got more money and you don't know where it's come from, you know, that's, that's worrying too. But it is quite amazing what God has done. And it doesn't make sense. It seems utterly foolish. And in fact, the whole existence of City Temple, uh, much of the time, seems utterly foolish to me. I mean, here we are, uh, we would be much better off if we would just sell this building, uh, distribute the money amongst ourselves, and all go retire in the south of Spain, because we probably just most of us could afford to do that. No, but God has called us here. And... And we're in this season that we've been called, that the Holy Spirit called prophetically, a, a time of emptying out. Who does that? I mean, how many churches do you know say, hey, you know, we're going to enter into a time where it's time for people to leave. And it's time to, to deal with, with issues. And, and, and there'll be a time of emptying out as well, leading up into a time of growth. You know, it doesn't make sense. And then here we are, We are the only historic English free church still meeting in the city of London. Every other church that's in the city of London is an Anglican church, uh, at least historically. There's some that meets in buildings and stuff around the city. But, you know, we got this historic commitment to the city. And time after time in our history, people have suggested that City Temple move out to the suburbs because the people are not living in the city. The people are living in the suburbs. And in the 1860s, they said, no, we're going to stay in, this, we're going to stay in the city. In the, the 1950s, they said, no, we're going to stay in the city. And we've made this commitment to be here in the city of London. And this is something that God has called us to do. And we look at ourselves, and we're not wealthy. We don't have a lot of money. Uh, We don't have the best quality building in the world right now, although we're praying that everything will work through uh, to have all of this renewed and everything. We don't have a lot of resources. And even the idea that somehow we can renew this building and see it all paid for, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But it's exactly what God is doing. It made much more sense to look at City Temple in the 1870s when we first moved onto this site and there were two to 3,000 people coming every week. Uh, sometimes we'd have several hundred men on Thursdays uh, during the lunchtime service and Sorry, ladies, most of the time it was men working in the cities in those days. But they would come and they would fill the place. And then we say, yeah, that makes sense. You know, God can use us to change the world because we're packing the place out. makes more sense to look in the 1950s when they built this building and they built it with the idea that every week the services of city temple would be broadcasted by the BBC all uh, across BBCdom. Uh, and you've got the Word of God being proclaimed in that time and the place being packed out, and it makes a lot of sense. Okay, that's the kind of church. Now, that church is going to change the world. You know, that, that's going to make a difference. It doesn't make any sense for God to say, okay, now I placed you in the middle of seven and a half million people who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you are part of the key to seeing these people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Not everyone will but many will, and whether they do depends on our obedience and following through with what God is calling us to do. But that doesn't make sense. It would make a lot more sense for God to say, "Okay, Hillsongs, why don't you go and you buy the city temple building because you have five thousand people or so, and you can send those five thousand people. And you know, and if Hillsong had five thousand people in here uh, on a Sunday, they could send them out almost one for one evangelism into the city because there's only about eight thousand residents in the city." So those 5,000 people could break down the doors of the Barbican or a cliff actually would probably open the door to let everybody in and they'd go and they'd flood the hallways uh, and maybe they could drag people kick, kicking and screaming and say, come to Jesus or we throw you off the top of the Barbican. But, you know, maybe that makes sense, but it doesn't make sense to look at what God is doing. And you might look at your life. Now, I, I talked to so many Christians So many Christians who just think, "Well, I'm not important. I'm not important. I'm thinking, why are you thinking that? Well, it doesn't make sense. I'm not on TV. I don't have the Bible memorized. Actually, my life is pretty much a mess. I made a lot of bad choices and a lot of bad decisions, and I'm not really in a good place. And so because of all of that, I'm not sure God's going to use me all that much. It doesn't make sense for God to use you. And they struggle with that and they they don't understand that. And then we look at what Paul is saying here and he's saying that the foolishness of God is wiser than men's wisdom and that he has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That's why I think it's okay for us to be foolish and it's okay for us to be weak And it's okay for us not to be thought of as the brightest and the best and the wealthiest or whatever it is, because that's at the moment when God will use us. And I've seen this time after time after time after time. We are deluded into thinking that God is using the people that we see on the TV screens, that God is using the people that we see uh, here on the radio, or we see them on the radio, I guess, uh, here on the radio, And that that those people are more important than we are, that's a delusion, and it's absolutely not true. And we see throughout history how men and women and children, just like us, have changed the world by the decisions that we have made under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And we know that God has something for us together and we know that God has called us here and placed us here just like he did Esther in the Old Testament for such a time as this. For such a time as this. But we need to understand some things that are very, very important about who we are corporately. And I apologize to guests uh, because I'm going to talk a little bit more about our corporate identity, but hopefully you'll be able to apply some of this to your own self and your own life and how you live and what God's calling you to do and what God's calling you to be. And there's three kinds of messages that God has given us as City Temple and that God is calling us to hold on to and even promote a bit at City Temple. The first message is what we might call the message of the citadel, the message of the citadel. I won't go fully into the vision that God has given City Temple, but we've called this vision the Citadel Vision, and actually the God, uh, God called it the Citadel Vision. He gave that name, and for years, nobody knew what that meant, Citadel, Citadel. So they looked it up in the Bible, they looked it up online, and they got pictures of Citadels, and, and people just kind of guessed around. They didn't really know what that meant. But God has said that we are a citadel. And actually, it was about uh, 12 years ago, 13 years ago. Pardon me if you're Welsh in this story uh, because it could bring up some some raw feelings if you're Welsh. Uh, But I was in Wales. Karen and I were in Wales. And we went to Conway and we went to Carnarvon and we went to uh, Harlech Castles uh, and uh, Beaumaris, and beautiful, beautiful castles. Love going there. Uh, Then I read about Edward I, and Edward I, he wanted to take over Wales, but the Welsh, they were tough, Uh, and the Welsh were just, I mean, they were kicking English backside, left and right. Uh, So he said, okay, I can't conquer these people, but you know what I'm going to do? I am going to build citadels in Wales, and I'm going to force English people to go and live in those citadels. And he built these castles. And these castles were absolutely essential to the conquest of Wales. And it was through the castles that Edward I can conquer, conquered Wales. You know, thankfully, that was about a thousand years or so ago. So hopefully, those of you that are Welsh have gotten over it by now. Maybe not, but, uh, you know, hopefully. And I realized that these citadels, they were places of resource... In other words, it's where Edward would bring all kinds of resources so all the wealth of England he could dump into a citadel. It would be safe there and the people could go and it would be a place of trade and resource for them. But also, when, when the Welsh came and they wanted to go after them, then the, the, people, the English people could run into the citadel and it would be a place of refuge. So a resource and a refuge. And we began to realize that this is exactly what God had called us to be As a citadel, he has said, city, temple, you will be a resource and a refuge, an outpost of the kingdom of God in what is hostile territory called the city of London. And God showed me that the absolute key to reaching the entire United Kingdom and changing the spiritual atmosphere over the entire nation uh, and the nations of the United Kingdom rested in the city of London. Because the city of London was operating under a strong man that we might call empire or something like that. uh, And that was holding sway over large portions of our nation and even uh, the nations which was also influencing the world. So we were called to be a citadel and God had planted us as a citadel in the city of London to be a place of resource and refuge for the entire body of Christ, a a resource for the advancement of God's loving rulership as well as a refuge for the training and equipping of the people of God in partnership with other ministries, so that we might see the entire area transformed and many people become part of God's kingdom and God's loving rulership. And then you look here in this psalm, in Psalm 48, and it's talking about citadels here. And the citadel, in this context, were part of the royal residence. Now, Jerusalem in the New Testament, becomes symbolic of the entire people of God. There will be a new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven that will be the people of God, the bride of Christ. And this Jerusalem will endure forever. So Jerusalem is a bit symbolic of the people of God. This Jerusalem has a temple in it, but it also has ramparts, it has towers, and it has citadels. There's more than one there but these citadels were connected to the royal residence and they were a stronghold for the king. And so God is telling us that we are a stronghold for the king. We're not the only stronghold. There's multiple citadels. There's multiple walls. There's multiple towers, places of of proclamation. There's multiples there, but the citadels are there connected to God part of his residence, part of his reality, and it tells us that we are to be a place in which the presence of God dwells and from which the presence of God goes forth, touches lives, changes lives, and God has placed us here for such a time as this for his own strategic purposes. And as I was studying this psalm again, one of the things that really struck me was the last verse of the psalm. Uh, if you read that, Um, You may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever. He will guide us forever. Do you know what the motto of the city of London is? Lord, guide us. Lord, direct us. If I was a Latin scholar, I'd pronounce it in Latin, uh, but I'm not even going to try to do that. Uh, Well, I almost did. I said I was going to try to do it, I almost did. Uh, But God... Lord, guide us. And the city has that as a motto, but God is calling us to live that out in the midst of the city as a citadel. And so we are a citadel. We are a church such as Antioch was that is a resource for the advancement of God's kingdom. And God has placed us here for such a time as this. And that is one message that we embody together as the people of God in this place. We are a citadel. But it's not the only message. Another message that that we need to hold on to, that we need to embrace and advance, is the message of kingdom unity. Kingdom unity. God is calling us to be united with Jesus In the advancement of his kingdom and united with one another in the advancement of the kingdom. Jesus was saying there very clearly there in in Matthew. He said, you know, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And if Satan is divided against himself, he's going to fall. Guess what? That's a promise. Satan is going to fall because right now in London, Satan is divided against himself. You have a multiple competing high level demonic spirits, such as the spirit that's overseeing Islam and the spirit of empire and the spirit of mammon and the atheistic spirit and all of these things are coalescing, not coalescing, they're, they're confronting one another right here in London and they're challenging one another for dominance, who is going to dominate the kingdom of hell. Now this is a great opportunity for us because Satan's kingdom is divided. And we are to pray and intercede to bind the strong man, but we need to realize that the strong man is already bound in Jesus Christ. You know, it's not that we're binding the strong man. Jesus has already bound the strong man, and we are already plundering his goods. We just want to do it more and more and more. But in order for that to happen, we must make sure that our hearts are united in kingdom unity. And that is something God is challenging us for in this season, but it's part of our DNA. When Joseph Parker dedicated the first building on this site uh, back in 1874 in his dedication speech, he said, we do not consider that our great building or our prominent location is for us alone, but this is for the entire body of Christ so that uh, that all Christians everywhere can come together and conference together on what unites us that the cross of Christ is the only hope for a world bound in sin. That is our heritage. That kind of kingdom unity is what we're all about. And we promote that. We promote that in our work with HarvestNet, with Freedom in Christ. We're promoting that even now in our work with the the Thames North Synod and the United Reformed Church. As we have a a local area group that is a kingdom united group of churches coming together. At least five now have committed. And we may have a a sixth one uh, after this weekend. I uh, should be able to hear here uh, tomorrow or so whether we have a sixth group because another church is meeting this weekend to decide if they're going to be a part of this. But this kingdom unity is absolutely essential. And Jesus says very clear here that if you are not gathering with you with him, you are scattering. There's no choice. You can't sit on the fence with this You can't be neutral on this. You can't say, well, I'll sit back and see how everything goes, and then if I want to be united, I'll choose to be united with that. You have to make a choice toward unity, and then out of that will flow what God has for you. And remember that God always challenges your sense of unity. It's always challenged. You know, I I look at uh, a lot of folks and... There, there are times, if you're going to walk in unity with anybody, whether it's your spouse uh, or whether it's a friend in church, there will be times when you rub up against each other. There will be times when you annoy each other. There will be times when, when you threaten to offend one another. I had a really tough day on Thursday. I've been sick, as you can hear, and uh, whenever I get a sinus infection, it messes with my moods big time. And I had a really bad mood right before the Thursday service, like it always happens there. And, uh, and I was just really trying to focus to keep it together, you know. And uh, both uh, Walter Swain and Russell, they've got such hearts, you know, to... To love people and embrace people, and they just kind of sense that in, instinctively. And I'm like, guys, just leave me alone, man! Don't don't come near me. And then Karen later, she said, you know, man, you're kind of rude to them. And I thought, oh no, I'm so sorry, you know. So immediately, you know, when Karen confronts me, I I I, I send him a text, and because uh, it's later in the night, I send him a text and everything. I said, I'm sorry, guys, you know. And they both came up to me uh, the next day and said, hey, man, that's cool. That's, that's, you know, that's the way we are. We we're gonna love each other. We're not going to allow offense to creep in. We're going to choose to love. We're going to choose to embrace. We're going to choose to affirm. And you have to do that because that kingdom unity doesn't come easy. And, uh, and we really have to walk in that. And one of the things that the Lord spoke to me on June 17th, that same, at that same time he said that, that our bank accounts are going up, he said, you know, call people to real unity and challenge those who are not united to find a place where they can be united. You know, this is not the only game in town. This is not the only place where God is moving. God has a strategy that embraces the larger body of Christ all across London. And we need to find the place where we can be in kingdom unity and walk in that kingdom unity and commit to that kingdom unity and start to gather in that kingdom unity. Because if we don't, we're by definition scattering. We're not gathering. And that's not something that I can choose for you. That's something that only the Holy Spirit can really guide you in. But once he's guided you in it, you need to make the commitment to it. Because unity will be challenged, but we must embrace and deliver the message of kingdom unity, not only for ourselves as we live it out, but also for others as we seek to walk together with other churches, ministries, groups, and people within the body of Christ. And that's our second message. There's a third message, and that's the message of the cross that we have to proclaim. You know, so much of London. You look in the city of London and it's all about power. Why are we seeing these skyscrapers go up? Well, my skyscraper is bigger than your skyscraper. Well, mine's a little bit more creative. You know, I'm the cheese grater. No, I'm the shaver. No, I'm the gherkin. Uh, no, I'm the whatever you want to say it. I almost said something rude. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you have all, what is this declaring? It's saying we're better. We've got more power. We've got more money. We've got more wealth. We've got more influence. It's very interesting. I'm seeing a shift right now, just, to, just as a side note. Uh, you know what's going up behind us, right? Goldman Sachs, their new European headquarters. Boy, is that a demonstration of power. One billion pounds they're spending on that building. One billion pounds. But do you know what, with Morley House, with City Temple, with Goldman Sachs, do you know what this area is starting to be called? The City Temple Quarter. How about that? Will it stick? Who knows? Who knows? But it's all about power. And our deception as Christians is that we must have power in order to have victory. That if we have enough power, then the principalities and powers will fall. That if we have enough power, we can bind the strong man. But that's a lie. Because it wasn't through power that Jesus defeated demonic spirits it was through the cross a symbol of weakness and brokenness and offense and pain and suffering that we can't fully understand because we look at it after 2,000 years of history the Lord told me quite a number of years ago after we'd gone through a difficult time of conflict here I said, Lord, did we really have to do that? And he said, no, you didn't. But you did have to embrace the cross because the cross is the key to victory. The message of the cross that's foolishness and offensive is absolutely essential. And only a people who embrace the cross for themselves have the ability to proclaim the message of the cross. That's why don't wait to serve the Lord till you feel like you can. Find a way to serve the Lord right now in your brokenness, in your weakness. It's the cross in you that Christ uses. It's the cross in you that lifts up Jesus Christ. It's the cross in us and the message of the cross that makes all the difference. It's a message of the cross and our willingness to embrace the cross that gives us our spiritual authority right here in London. And we have authority because we have chosen as a church to embrace the cross, to embrace weakness, and to call others to do the same because the cross is the only hope for life. The cross is the only hope for this world. The cross is the only hope that the seven and a half million people around us who don't know Jesus, it's the only hope they have for life and salvation and joy and freedom that is genuine freedom, not the fake stuff that the world peddles. And so the message of the cross must be our message. The message of the cross must be our heart. The message of the cross must be that which we proclaim, which we embrace, which we honor, which we lift up with every fiber of our being. And the message of the cross is a message that comes not only through our mouths, but also through our lives. It's a message that we embrace in how we live And how we love. And as we embrace the cross. As we embrace the kingdom unity. As we embrace ourselves as a citadel. Jesus will be magnified. It's no accident. That on top of City Temple you see a cross. When we established this building here. In the 1870's. Joseph Parker said. That we want to lift High the cross over the marketplace, over the business of London, over the highway connecting the city and Westminster. We want to lift high the cross because in the cross and the cross alone we find our hope and our future. Father God, thank you so much for the call that you have placed upon us. Thank you so much that you have called us to be a citadel. Help us to discover more and more what that means. Thank you so much that you have called us into kingdom unity, not only with one another, but with others. Help us to be more and more united, not only with one another, but especially with you. And thank you that you have given us the message of the cross. Even though none of us likes to hang on the cross, None of us likes to carry our cross daily. You have enabled us to do this. And by doing so, you have led us to a place of strength, victory, and authority over all the power of the enemy. And we rejoice in that. And we pray that that would be manifested in many of these 7.5 million people around us coming to faith in Jesus Christ through the cross. We love you, praise you, honor you, and worship you. And do this all through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.